Northern Rivers Food and Southern Cross University present Business Bites. This podcast series discusses, evaluates and explores all the factors that contribute to making a resilient business. I'm Angela Caterns, host of Business Bites, and in each episode I'll bring you wisdom and insights from forward-thinking academics and leading industry experts about what really helps a business stay relevant and thrive. I'll talk with business and thought leaders, asking them what lessons they've learned from personal experience. I'll chat to food businesses of every size and every nature, restaurants, manufacturers, growers and producers, agri-tourism operators, marketers, legal and financial experts, and everyone in between. In this, our launch episode, we're talking about something every business owner will relate to, the need to manage unexpected challenges. We'll explore how fires, floods, drought and a worldwide pandemic have impacted on regional businesses and see what we've all learned about how to manage unexpected and unprecedented upheavals. Our first guest is Dean Gould. Chief Marketing Officer at Southern Cross University. As a leader in the university, Dean's focus is on overseeing the positioning of Southern Cross University, one of Australia's youngest and most progressive institutions. Hello, Dean. Welcome to Business Bites. Hi, Angela. How are you going? I'm going very, very well. So, tell us the story, if you would. How did the university campus adapt to the needs of of the community during the floods in Lismore? Well, during the February and March floods, I think uh, there was kind of two um, phases, if you like, to the experience of the university in in, um, responding to the very urgent need around the community. The first one was rescue. That was uh, when we turned our sports halls into evacuation centres for people who didn't uh, have a home temporarily. We turned our warehouses into distribution centres for emergency goods. We were able to um, allow helicopters uh, to land on our sporting fields. And so this was all emergency rescue associated um, uh, activity. So we basically just turned over the entire institution to whatever needed to be done. But that quite quickly, it's really quickly actually pivoted from rescue to recovery. And the recovery phase meant, okay, what happens next? And that was um, a, a really Um, seminal moment for the university because we were able then to say to some of the schools who had relocated uh, onto the campus, how about you stay? The Business New South Wales came onto the campus uh, as a recovery centre for businesses and uh, and we said, how about you guys stay? The Lismore Health Precinct came onto the campus uh, because their premises were washed out and we said, how about you guys stay? So we we pivoted from this um, rescue to recovery phase very quickly and it's not as dramatic but it is a a much longer term impact on the university and the community. So talk to us about that impact. What has the impact been on the university? Well, again, there's the, the, um, the, the, the frontline impact, we've had dozens of staff and students directly affected by the floods. Um, and they've, uh, some of them have lost a, a lot of their, their livelihoods, their belongings, their homes. Um, so that's felt really deeply by the university. Then there's been the, um, 
the impact on the operation of our Lismore campus. And uh, this all happened just as we were about to recommence classes for the year. So our Gold Coast and Coffs Harbour campuses, they all went back to face-to-face um, -to -face studies after two years of COVID interruption uh, you know, studies. But Lismore campus, because of this situation in the floods, it had to delay face-to-face -face teaching for another term. So that was sort of a, a next step impact. But the bigger impact in the activity and, and vibrancy of the of the Lismore campus is that we now have literally three or four thousand extra um, uh, people on campus every day going about a whole range of different businesses and a whole range of different activities which makes the town far which makes the university far more like a, a town center rather than a university campus mm. I mean these were huge impacts weren't they on the university did you have any plans in place that might help you to prepare for this uh, for this event well, the revival of the Lismore campus has been something that's been top of mind for some time. I mean, the, the Lismore campus in the Northern Rivers was the birthplace of Southern Cross in 1994. It had about 10 or 15 years of rapid growth. And then as other campuses and other universities around the place and the, and the, um, um, the online learning um, sector grew and grew and grew, the impact on the Lismore campus is that growth had relatively stalled over the last eight to 10 years. So we were, it was top of mind for us to bringing the Lismore campus back to life in some shape or form. And I have to admit in my role as, as leader of the Office of Engagement and Chief Marketing Officer, I always felt it was going to be student-led recovery. But what we've seen out of this phenomena is it's going to be community-led recovery. So we've got um, uh, all these different levels of activity on, on campus and we certainly do have the space. It's a, it's a large campus. And so we had... Um, uh, plenty of plans in place to uh, reach out to different parts of the of the community. We've got a very strong engagement plan. So a lot of these people that we uh, are now um, co-located with, we had previous relationships with because of our outreach into the community and our strong um, connections to the community. So in many, many ways, it was like uh, inviting uh, family or friends into your house uh, when they were in a, a moment of need. So you never thought about saying no, about keeping your doors closed and saying, no, that that's not our gig. Uh, not certainly not in that rescue phase. In that rescue phase, we just we, we whatever we can do, we will do. Um, and you know, we were opening up kitchens to cook for people. We were running generators that uh, uh, we needed to 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 make um, um, uh, you know, emergency power for people. And there was even a, a moment there where the uh, ABC Radio asked if they could relocate to the campus for the day at the height of the floods. Um, because they lost power in their um, uh, their location in Lismore, uh, unfortunately the, we didn't have enough power for them to to uh, move into the um, onto the campus, and and they quickly got their power restored. So that was that was one of the didn't have to go ahead. But in terms of saying no to um, uh, um, potential um, partners around the place, we only space has been the issue as long as we can find the space and it's and they're like-minded people and they're like-minded organizations and they fit with the sort of educational environment of a university campus then uh, we've been very enthusiastic about uh, you know making it all work mm -hmm. dean at its core of course the university is in the business of education and research and so how did you see this unexpected upheaval in terms of uh, of that of this being a place of learning 
Well, in the in the very short term, there has been an impact on the ability for all of our classes to go back to face to face. But that that was um, we were very happy to to welcome all of our students back on campus in uh, in May, and so we we had about a month or six weeks where we had to delay the return to face to face classes. But in terms of a learning environment, it's actually enhanced it. I mean, if you look at um, and it's prompted us to bring uh, a degree like the business degree the business and enterprise bachelor of business and enterprise back to the Lismore campus because the in terms of commerce and business activity there is no more um, uh, focused environment than the Southern Cross University Lismore campus at the moment. There are so many different streams of business and commercial activity on that uh, location that for a learning environment for a business student, for example, it couldn't be better. So we, we see this as a, a real extension of our, our learning environment. We're deeply rooted in our regional communities anyway. So the, a lot of, as I said, a lot of these people were our, our partners in, in, a, in a previous environment. So this is a way of, of bringing that deep sense of engagement right to our front door, literally. Do you think um, that would have happened if you were in a metropolitan area, if you were a university in the middle of a big city? Look, I'd like to think that um, our our colleagues at other universities would react in the same way, but I I think what happens in a in a um, in a capital city is that the the dilution of um, of solutions means that you wouldn't get the same intense phenomena that we saw at Lismore. We were the only large institution um, with resources, with capacity and, and critically with space who were uh, able to respond as quickly as we did. So I think in a, in a big city, you've got all sorts of other uh, institutions and agencies and organisations that would dilute that uh, response pattern. And for us, it was we were able to uh, open up the doors, open up the gates, um, literally had people camping on our, on our sporting fields and, and make it a, a place of solution. Everyone who came to the university during that period and from here on in is there for a solution to a problem. And, and that's at the core of what a university does. It's a place of solutions. Mm, amazing. But do you think that being a, a regional university made you more uh, nimble, more able to, to adapt to, to what you were needed for at this time? I think that's very true that uh, we were able to adapt more nimbly. And, and uh, as I said, the deep connections we already had with that Northern Rivers community. Um, these were schools that we we visited regularly. These were health precinct um, operatives that we had clinical placements with. These were business organisations that we had internships with. So that we had these deep uh, connections that perhaps a metro institution wouldn't have. We knew these people by name. So it was very much a... Um, uh, an embracing of the community that we were already deeply engaged with and finding a, a geographical location for them. So I think the, the fact that we were a regional community, um, uh, part of a regional community so actively and that we have a very um, flat uh, decision-making tree that enabled us to um, move very quickly and very um, precisely as well. Mm -hmm. Dean, of course, the recent floods weren't the only challenge the universities had to face in recent times. Like, like the rest of the world, you've had to come to grips with the pandemic uh, and find a way to navigate through all of those complications. Were you in any way prepared for that or was that also, you know, uncharted territory? 
Well, this is uh, a bit of a feather in Southern Cross University's cap, actually, because we were um, uh, one of the pioneers of distance learning, as it used to be called, and it pivoted to online learning around the uh, turn of the century. So us um, being asked to suddenly move to online learning wasn't a, wasn't a, a game changer. It was something we've been doing for you know, 25 years. So um, but we were, so we were able to move from, I think it was March 18, um, 2020, when the, the borders clamped shut, and we were doing full online delivery by March 25. It was a remarkable turnaround for the university and the academic um, uh, professionals and support staff to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And tell me how the staff and students responded and, and what that meant for the culture of, of Southern Cross University. And do you think there'll be lasting impacts? I'm sure there's going to be lasting impacts. There's uh, that's a really multi-layered question. Um, the there's some really great things that have happened. Um, we've invested heavily in our centre of teaching and learning, um, so we've really upgraded um, the the online delivery of our curriculum and our ability for academics to um, engage deeply with their students in um, from remote learning and. So we've, we're suddenly seeing this growth in our educational designers. And these are people who um, may have had a life as a graphic designer in, a, in, a, in a, another career. And they've come, they've come to us and they become educational designers. They need to design the online delivery of our, of our courses and our programs and our degrees. So that's, that's one area that's really growing and continues to grow. So I think that's going to be an on, ongoing um, uh, pathway for the university. I mean, my, my view is that it'll get uh, this, the online delivery of, of university curriculum will get more and more choreographed and more and more um, uh, uh, movie-like if, if, if you want to use that description to so that it becomes uh, the medium becomes part of the message as Marshall McLuhan might have said mm. in the 1960s. <laughs> um, and the, but then there were other things that uh, what was interesting is that our our attendance at online lectures from students actually went up during COVID. So uh, I don't know it was a, if it was a proximity issue or whether they, uh, they were more engaged in their studies. We're not actually sure why this phenomenon happened, but we saw people, more people attending lectures uh, during the COVID uh, shutdowns and lockdowns than uh, previously. So uh, students were more engaged. And at the same time, we were trialling the Southern Cross model in 2021. We started the trial of Southern Cross model, which was a, a new way of learning with six-week terms, really deeply immersive learning um, uh, over shorter periods to do a deep dive on, um, on your particular subjects. And we were finding that that was um, giving students better results and better experiences. And we've just moved into that in a, uh, a much bigger way in 2022. And the uh, results for the first two terms have been uh, equally uh, um, uplifting. So there's some, uh, in the middle of all this, we didn't sit on our hands and say, okay, we'll wait for this to pass. We were continuing to adapt and continue to change because that's the type of university that Southern Cross is. Um, there were some areas that we had to really work hard at to make successful. The the cross-border issues we had with uh, placements for teachers and, and health students, uh, teaching and health students, that was really difficult. If you're in New South Wales and your placement was in Queensland, or if you're in Queensland, your placement in New South Wales, that was really difficult to navigate um, uh, during border lockdowns between the two states. Um, but we managed it. You know, we, people were were 
really solutions driven. We've had um, uh, the clinical um, partners that we had, the hospitals that we were partnered with, the academics, the placement, the students themselves, everyone was trying to find a, a solution for it. Um, and, you know, a lot of students really, really wanted to get back onto campus. And uh, we tried a couple of times, like a lot of universities did, to get back onto campus and they were thwarted by further lockdowns and restrictions. But hopefully from here on in, we'll have a bit more um, uh, uniformity. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, Dean, are there common threads running through how the university uh, was able to successfully respond to COVID and to the floods as well? Yes, I think there's there's three. One is that uh, students first. Whatever whatever is the best outcome for the students, that's that's going to be our um, our primary response. That's the main filter we see things through. So when it was with COVID, how do we make this work for the students? When the when the borders were shut, how do we make this work for the students? When the floods hit, we started a student appeal um, to even uh, provide some financial support for students. So uh, I think really that's, that's the first filter that um, was a common thread running through no matter what challenge we were faced. The second filter was about being... Um, building on your current partnerships and being collaborative and open to change. So as I said, a lot of these um, people who, who found themselves, you know, looking at the campus as an alternative uh, place to, to set up shop and to, and to continue their, their business, we already had a partnership with them. So, and we, and we thought, okay, well, how do we continue this partnership and, and what does it look like going forward now that their, their school or their business or their organisation no longer has a physical place to operate? So uh, being open to change to that partnership, I think was a, another thread that ran right through there. And seeing where the opportunities lie, um, you know, we were able to provide, um, you know, that, that, that area of um, rescue and safe refuge in the, in the initial uh, phase. And then we quickly looked at, okay, what does this look like medium term? And so we wanted to make sure that uh, we were, we were thinking ahead as clearly as possible. And we had literally daily conversations. There was a group of university leaders who would gather every day and talk about the ever-changing landscape that we were dealing with, whether it was COVID or whether it was the floods or prior to COVID, it was uh, bushfires. You know, the the university was closed um, once or twice because of bushfires. So, we we had this deep understanding that there was um, uh, a need to adapt uh, to the changing circumstances external to the university. Mm. So, so what would you say are the key factors to being a resilient organisation, one that's able to respond quickly to big, unexpected events? Well, I think you have to have your core um, your core audience, we call them students, somebody else might call them customers, somebody else might call them clients, partners, whatever they are, but they're they're the people that you exist for. And so they're the ones that you have to prioritise and put put them at the front of all your decision-making. And I think the university did that over and over again, very, very well. So we were were able to say, okay, as I I pointed out before, the, the student became the, um, the the main focus of our decision-making. So you have to have that main focal point on what, what do I want to be um, important in this decision? And as always, your, your key cohort. The second thing is consistency. You don't want to chop and change the values with which you approach those decisions. And, you know, um, being um, safety first, 
uh, being a good partner and looking at the longevity of the university, they were the values that we approached to a lot of the decision-making uh, for the university. So I think um, looking at your key cohort and then uh, being consistent with the values that you apply to those, um, those tough decisions, I think they're the two really uh, critical factors. Mm -hmm. And just finally, um, Dean, you know this Business Bites uh, podcast is a collaboration between the university and Northern Rivers Food, exploring everything about resilience in business. So for the business owners who are listening today, what are the lessons that you think they can learn from your experience uh, managing these unexpected challenges over the years? Um, the first one is that there's no normal. <laughs> um, I remember years and years ago, there was a song written by a guy called Bruce Coburn and a Canadian singer. He said, the trouble with normal is it always gets worse. Uh, so, and I, I've pretty much held that to heart. You know, the, there is no normal. So don't, don't take it personally. Uh, that's a really important lesson to, to, to learn out of this, that, you know, we have had bushfires, we have had lockdowns, we've had health restrictions, um, we've had border closures, now we've had, um, you know, floods and natural disasters, none of these are personal. Uh, so you just have to understand that um, uh, they're part of an external environment that is constantly changing. And the next one will come along uh, without a script and without a, a blueprint of how we should act. So that's that's something also to understand that when you're faced with these situations of unexpected challenges, it comes back to your values-driven decision-making. And as uh, for the university, it's about students, it's about safety, it's about consistency, it's about the longevity of the institution. And those, those four areas, I think, apply to a lot of businesses as well, whatever. You know, they don't have students, perhaps, but they have uh, customers. And um, so those values-driven decision-making, lean on those when the external circumstances are completely foreign to you because the values that you um, apply to your decisions are not foreign to you. Mm, fantastic. Dean Gould, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Now we're joined by two guests, Trevor and Lily Choi Lee, who together run two distinct yet integrated businesses, Trav Consult and Naturally Northern Rivers Australia. They're both experts on the Asian tourism market whose thriving travel business suffered greatly as the pandemic gripped the globe in 2020. From that upheaval came a new venture, which has seen them enter the world of locally grown and crafted natural organic products produce and products. Welcome, Lily. Welcome, Trevor. Thank you very much, Angela. Thank you, Angela. So I understand you're both graduates of Southern Cross University. Is that right? Oh, you've done your homework. Sorry. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a long time ago when um, there was no such thing as internet and we had fax machines and we were living <laughs> and working in Japan. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. And so, so you, you both met during the, while you were studying? But no, we actually met uh, in in uh, in Jakarta in 1987, and uh, and then a couple of years later we moved to Japan, and then we started doing uh, correspondence, bachelor's degree in, in tourism here at Southern Cross, and uh, for six years we did the degree, and we never met a, a teacher or a lecturer until we graduated. 
That's right. And we were the first long-distance students for SEU. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting because we've, we we talked about that earlier with Dean Gould and, in fact, it sort of enabled the university to pivot, if I can use that word again, uh, <laughs> during the pandemic to online learning, which is what you did. You, you pioneered it. Oh, indeed by fax machine. That was very hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. So together you run two businesses. They seem quite disparate, aren't they? They're very different businesses, Trav Consult and naturally Northern Rivers. Oh, look, I, I think they are very different and yet they're, they're not. They're, they're quite um, integrated and Trav Consult started first 20 years ago. Um, back then it was just a Japanese tourism market that we were very much focused on and helping the tourism industry here in Australia better understand the Japanese tourists and better understand what they wanted and how to look after them. That then merged into looking after the what was then the new Chinese market, the Indian market, Korean, etc. We were focused on Asian markets. And then, of course, COVID hit in 2020 and uh, suddenly five projects that were all lined up for that year suddenly stopped. The plane stopped flying. Uh, and Trav Consult came to a pause, at which time I'll hand over to Lily because she's got the uh, best part of the story. Oh, okay. Okay, so um, with uh, Trav Consult on the pause, uh, my family in China were very worried and they suggested we start to send uh, natural products and food items that were genuinely Australian to China. And that's when we got the idea of exports. And initially, that's how Naturally Northern Rivers Australia started as an um, export idea. Um, But then with the deteriorating um, relationships between China and Australia, um, the distribution channel was getting very expensive. Shipping, especially, we heard of containers of, you know, wine and lobster and everything sitting on the um, shores of Shanghai and um, for months. So it was going to be expensive if we wanted to go into it. And it, it just wasn't timely. So we thought, what can we do? And that's when we heated, we started to look locally because we were in lockdown. We couldn't go very far. Mm-hmm. So we looked locally and we heard the community going, buy local, you know, support local businesses. And we thought, okay, what can we do here? Um, how can we build brand awareness of this amazing region and we thought, let's do it through the products. Let's do it through the stories of the producers and the amazing food and, and, and artisans in this region. Take it to the world who will go, wow, that granola is amazing, that honey. Wow, that's just, you know, it, it works. And so we ended up saying, well, let's see if we can have some collaborations with some local partners, um, take the products to the world. They can learn about Northern Rivers and our region through that. And then when the skies open, um, hopefully they will start to want to come to Australia, but not just Australia, Northern Rivers Australia and New South Wales. Mm. And so um, you mentioned granola, you mentioned honey. What are some of the other products that you want to uh, share with the rest of the world? Well, we've got this um, beautiful uh, macadamia um, uh, nut oil, for the skin by Avila Farm, and we've got the tea tree oil. The tea tree oil um, is certified organic, and that's um, uh, made by our beautiful uh, Olive Gap farmers. And we've got Stoken Gin, as well as Cape Byron Distillery. We've got those as well. Um, we've got Pie Wackets, who I believe are going to be here. They're the shrubs. Um, these are unusual products that I think the rest of the world will love. Um, we just need to tell the stories around them. How did you find the local producers? 
It's all about contacts, Angela. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of Trav Consult and all our contacts in tourism, um, we were introduced um, by our tourism contacts to export um, uh, New South Wales. And then when we moved away from that, they introduced us to um, Australia's Manuka Honey. Um, they introduced us to Mindful Foods. So that's how it was through who you know, I guess, who mm-hmm. we knew from our contacts in the past. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Any characters amongst them? Oh, I, I think uh, Michael from Australia's Manuka Honey. Uh, he, I mean, they're all passionate artisans, but Michael lives and breathes bees. He knows everything about bees. He even dreams a, about bees. And he's a <laughs> passionate Kiwi who knows everything about Manuka Honey and, and all that sort of stuff. And he checks on his bees. He loves his bees. He cares about his bees. He talks to his bees and... And, and each time he takes us out to meet his bees, we learn something new about them. And, and it's quite amazing to, to be around such passionate people. Mm-hmm. So did you have uh, sort of core values at the centre of your business and then you reached out to other people to um, who, who sh- shared those values? Yes, absolutely. So that was the most important um, foundation for uh, building our business. And it, again, it started because of our um, initial target Um, of China. We knew we had to be very authentic and unique. Um, And so we came up with the core values of provenance, uh, meaning it's owned, um, farmed, made, produced in Australia, in our region. Um, We have passion, which was about telling the stories of the people, the produce, um, the products um, in in the region. Um, We have the core value of... um, Uh, connection as well, um, and collaboration, sustainability, and of course, authenticity. Um, One of the key questions that we were asked when we're doing our uh, risk assessment of a business like this was, why would we want to buy from naturally northern rivers in Australia? The rest of the world wants China, you know, to sell to China. And so we had to be authentic. We had to have some, a story that was unique to nowhere else but here. And we found that was the rich soil, the red soil of the caldera, the caldera, which is the largest caldera in the southern hemisphere. So mm. we could lay claim to that. Uh-huh. And so are you able to export these products to China now or you've discovered uh, the market is local? It's definitely local, although we've had quite a few international sales uh, to, to, to Germany, to Holland, to America, all via online. I think at this stage, the way that um, relationship uh, the relationship is between China and Australia. I think we'll wait a little while before investing heavily in that area. In the meantime, certainly locally and all states we've had purchases from, which is fantastic. So the word is getting out. It's certainly introduction, people, word of mouth, and that's that's certainly how we're getting, um, I guess, our business. Mm-hmm. What plan, uh, planning did you do? What business planning um, did you do when you started up naturally Northern Rivers? Well, it was funny because one of the, the, the first things that happened once we the, the concept came out, Trav Consult stopped, the concept came out that we could have some products in our area that we could perhaps export to China. While we were talking about that and getting that going and investigating that, um, one of Trav Consult's business partners, clients, um, Brisbane Airport, uh, touched base with us by phone and said, oh, look, guys, um, this is what we're doing. We haven't got planes. We haven't got anyone in the airport. But we've set up this online marketplace called B&E Marketplace to provide all of the retailers and duty-free uh, outlets uh, an online platform to sell their products. Would you like to join us? 
And so Natural Northern Rivers Australia then fell onto BNE Marketplace. Um, so we're actually in the travel retail space at a very early um, period. And that sort of helped us to start realising, well, we can do a lot of things, even though planes aren't flying um, and people aren't moving, we could certainly start getting our brands out there. And that was a, certainly a good way to start building that business strategy. Yes. So tell me a bit about the business strategy. It, uh, it, how long is it? How far ahead do you look? Okay, so um, we're looking at, for China, we are looking at a minimum of five years to really enter um, because it is so difficult. Um, so we were prepared to do that. Um, in the meantime, because of um, a lack of financial resources, really, we didn't want to go into um, extending ourselves, overextending ourselves with debt for this. Um, we, d we thought, okay, let's do what we can organically and which is building presence. So we're looking at, we're coming up to two years in November when we officially launched. So we, we are going to be investing in PR in order to build the brand. So the first thing is brand awareness because it's brand new. Um, and then of course we need to move towards that sales. So we're looking at um, five years to start really making any difference Mm-hmm. Wow. Long term. Is it fair to say that you took quite calculated risks in starting um, Naturally Northern Rivers? I think we did because we we could certainly do a lot of desktop research and everyone was still wanting to speak on their phone. So we, when we started coming up with this, this concept, we just went back to our Trav Consult clients who have been experienced in a lot of different areas from marketing to sales to... To, to even the legal side of things and, 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 and branding. So we started talking to them, well, this is our new concept, what would you advise? So we had formed this um, almost a, 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 a small board of unpaid advisors, volunteers, etc., who were very happy and willing to give us advice, share their knowledge, um, and that has certainly helped us. People with, with years and years, decades of experience, and they really helped us in an area where we really previously didn't have a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. And so what would you, what would you advise uh, someone who's, you know, uh, thinking about a, a new business? Um, would you advise them to do the research and, and, uh, and, and discover what risks they're going to take or would you advise them to just leap in? No, look, I think it's a bit of both really, but I'd certainly be asking people about it. Um, and not everyone is going to say, hey, yeah, that's going to be a success. Definitely there will be people saying, no, that won't work. And usually um, when Lily and I get that um, or hear that, we'll say, okay, well, why won't that work? And maybe we can do something different to make it work. Uh, try something a little bit different, um, Lily. I think the main thing is that you do you do your research. I can't emphasise that enough. Leaping in, um, you have to start at some stage, so you can't wait too long because then you um, you second-guess yourself and you may lose momentum as well. And the opportunity sometimes is very narrow. Um, so you, you just have to really... For, for us, it was, um, it was... We were lucky because we were in lockdown. Um, so we really had nothing else to do. Um, but when you do have um, that opportunity to um, take, um, it, it's there, I think you should take it. So that, that's our, our motto always. The opportunity is there, take it. What's the worst thing that can happen? Um, and we always take into account our um, financial limitations though. Mm -hmm. What is the worst thing that can happen? 
personally, I think it's it's losing each other um, because of a business decision that went bad. And and Lily and I, since we started working together twenty years ago as a married couple, um, if one of us feels that something isn't quite right, then we simply don't proceed. Mm. Mm. I agree. <laughs> So tell us what the future holds now that, uh, you know, international borders have reopened. Um, can you integrate the two businesses? Well, it, it, yes, we can, absolutely. And um, I'll be very uh, proud and honoured to, to announce here first with you, Angela, that Trav Consult, which has been going for 20 years, we've worked um, throughout Asia and New Zealand considerably and around Australia, we will be opening, launching Trav Consult Europe from Paris uh, probably around September, October, working in the same fields, the industries, the airports, travel, retail, etc. At the same time, our new partner, who will be based in Paris, um, is very, very much in love with naturally Northern Rivers Australia and he wants to take that into the airports, into the travel retail space, in airports around Europe. He loves the products. He's holidayed up here in this region, absolutely loves it and is very keen to, to move both businesses into that area over there. So we're excited about that and it all started with um, this thing called COVID. Wow. Well, that is very exciting, isn't it? That's amazing. Um, And so looking back at what you've been through over the last couple of years, what do you think are the key takeaways that other businesses facing unexpected and big challenges um, should keep in mind? What advice would you have for them? Lily? I think one of the most important things is to be open um, to opportunities and um, the other thing is collaboration and when you don't know because this is completely new to us e-commerce and um, working locally um, with provenance and producers and farmers that's so new to us we have had to ask so many people for help so I think collaboration um, being aware that what you do um, has a large impact and, and being brave. Sometimes you just got to just go, well, what the, you know. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. Take the leap. Mm. Yeah. Trevor? I, I think I agree completely with Lillian. I think also you don't be afraid to ask someone for help um, and for an opinion, for advice. Uh, people usually generally are pretty happy to give advice and I think that's one thing. It doesn't mean you have to take it but listen to it and take it into consideration when you ask for someone else's advice and, and someone else's advice. By asking around, you start getting that picture of what feels right and wrong and you can move forward with that. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like um, there are very exciting times ahead for you two. Thank you so much for joining us on Business Bites. Thanks very much for having us, Angela. Thank you, Angela. Thank you so much. Let's welcome our next guests, the two shy and retiring powerhouse women behind Piwackets Traditionals, a genuinely artisan business producing old-fashioned plant-based drinks, tonics and tinctures. With a self-described love for the long road and a good tipple, Jenna and Katrina have built a brand that has an enormous following here in the Northern Rivers and across the country, but they've weathered more than their fair share of challenges along the way. Katrina, Jenna, hello and welcome. Hello, thanks for having us. Hi. Thank you so much for for joining us. So now I I keep hearing talk of uh, shrubs. Could you explain about shrubs, please? Um, Okay, so a shrub is a traditional ferment of fresh fruit and herbs that's been preserved in an apple cider vinegar base. So it's a method of preserving fruit that goes back to the Middle Ages. People used to preserve fruit this way to um, maintain nutrition throughout the long winter when there wasn't any um, refrigeration. So 
the 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 method of preserving actually came from um, the Middle East, and the word is sharab, which means drink. So the English oh, would have wow. discovered this method of preserving, brought it back to England, um, and called it shrub. Got the name wrong, and it continued on that way for some centuries. Um, so yeah, so the shrubs were, you know, had popularity throughout the the ages as a tonic, as a medicinal tonic, a nutritional tonic, but also as a basis for drinks when, um, you know, alcohol mixing and also just uh, for enjoyment. And even in the prohibition era, they were drinking shrubs in the dry bars. And it was really just the advent of refrigeration and um, artificial flavors and colors and preservatives that sort of brought them out of fashion. So so um, with the return of the craft cocktail world and a resurgence of fermentation and slow food, um, shrubs have come back. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much in Australia, but we are uh, championing them as the, uh, as the sort of, you know, the next big um, slow food drink. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. And how did you discover them? Well, I, I'm a naturopath professionally, so I've been familiar with um, fermented foods and traditional foods for a long time, and I had made shrubs over the years, just occasionally when there'd be a glut of something or, you know, something came into my life and I wanted to save it for later, uh, berries or um, fruit products, um, and after many years of not making them, I made one one year with some limes and some coriander that I had growing a bit wild in the garden. It had been a good year for coriander, and I made this delicious one. And it was so good, I thought, why is no one doing this? These are amazing. And um, and that was sort of that click moment where you go, oh, I could do this. this. So they're not alcoholic? No, they're 100% alcohol-free. So they do have a really um, – they lend themselves very well in the um, non-alcoholic, I guess, food or drink uh, demographic, which is really growing. That's an yeah. offering that people are really asking for these days. It's a big movement of, of non-alcoholic uh, drinks. Um, they're 100% non-alcohol and they're very uplifting and satisfying to drink so you can drink one and actually feel a little bit of a lift and and you know you've had a treat um, as opposed to a lot of dealkalized or you know or fake cocktails and cans that just kind of taste a bit sugary and mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah so t- so what do you what what are they made out of and do you have partnerships with producers for instance well, they are made in a raw apple cider vinegar base. So we use an organic uh, raw apple cider vinegar with the mother and a selection of, of cold-pressed fresh fruits um, and herbs, depending on the flavor. We do have a lot of relationships with different local producers. So we have different, um, I mean, in this area, I, I call it the fruit bowl. Like we have so many amazing um, farms around and not even just farms, but local people who just have an abundance of trees on their property. They can't possibly use all the fruit that they produce. Um, Just last week, I was picking lemons on a woman's property out in the Chan and she has seven trees and she's just like, please take them, you know? (laughs) So that's where we come in handy. We just come in and save. And we also really um, are very much uh, always seeking to save fruit that is a bit bas- uh, past its best before, fruit that it would otherwise be waste um, uh, because that's the perfect fruit for a shrub. It's ripe, it's sweet, um, it doesn't have to look good because we macerate it, we blend it, we juice it and um, and therefore give it its uh, another life um, mm-hmm. and reducing food waste is, is you know, an important part of our business as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So we hear that um, that uh, Jenna's a, a naturopath. How about you, Katrina? What's your background? What's, mm. what is, what's the expertise you bring to this business? <laughs> 
Um, I, Jenna and I have been friends for like 11 years maybe um, and I used to work with my family in a fermented ginger beer business. Um, aside from that, I've also just done a lot of fermenting. I still do a lot of fermenting. Um, and so when Jenna and I were just friends and she was making shrubs, she was like, hey, what do you know about fermented drinks businesses? And I was like, well, funnily enough, <laughs> a lot. Well, I knew she already had a very... <laughs> yeah, I knew she was the woman that had all the answers there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it started out just as a few conversations and then I just got more and more involved with what was happening and now we're both full-time partners in this epic adventure. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. I mean, that there must be challenges along the way from being friends to running a business together. It's the best. Yeah. It's the best. I feel like when we were friends, we definitely didn't see each other as much. We get to see, we text each other every single day now. (laughs) Yeah. And we have a friendship that is, um, I think, a really healthy style of friendship for a business partnership in that we we were long-time admirers of each other's work, both separately, um, you know, whether it be just the way you curate your life and the works that we were doing, but we had never had a project to work on together and we'd always wanted to find something. And when this came up, it was an opportunity. So the friendship has actually um, grown through working together on the project, which Mm. is a really great way to, you know, and lucky, you know, we just continue to love each other and respect each other Throughout the years, it's been a really harmonious um, working relationship, which is great. That is, yeah. it's wonderful. So, tell us a little bit about your kind of business model. You'd 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 started the business, you'd built it into something substantial, and then COVID hit. Yeah, then COVID hit. Um, we were very grateful to be sharing our commercial kitchen space and kitchen with the Love Morph Mentory. So immediately we were like, okay, we've managed to keep our overheads down because we've been collaborating on a space. Um, and up until that point, we'd also been most mostly wholesale. So we were selling into stores, bars, cafes, restaurants, that sort of thing. Um, and then when COVID happened, we focused more on our website. Um, we'd always had a website, but it hadn't been the focus. So then we embarked on a whole e-commerce adventure um, and looked to connect with our customers there. Mm-hmm. So that must have been challenging. Did you have to kind of, you know, write a new plan for the, for the online uh, style of business? It was very challenging. It's, it is, like you say, an entirely different style of business and that's not what we had been planning to do. Um, but we just really cared about it. We found pretty quickly we got a lot more comments on our social media. We were, like, engaging with our customers directly. People were spending a lot of time on social media in lockdowns. They were also drinking a lot. Um, and so we found this line of communication that we hadn't really had directly to our customers before. So that was actually... Great. Mm. Then I guess you would have to kind of, um, you know, work up a, a sort of delivery style of thing, right? You, How do you mean? Well, you're, you're mailing out your product. Mm. Oh, yeah. That was massive. Um, we'd gone from packing, you know, boxes with like 30 bottles to just packing two bottles and the inefficiencies of that. Oh, well, we're still working that out. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. that's, still, that's still a thing. 
But um, the the best part of it is is that um, things have grown slowly. Like we have been a grassroots business, like right from the fact that we started in my kitchen um, with just my you know me investing you know my own personal money, just in you know some jugs of vinegar and building it up slowly. There was never an investment you know nest egg. It it literally happened from a seed. Um, and so this this pivot happened in a similar way. I mean, Katrina had already been the, the things that Katrina brings to the business. I mean, are things I would never be able to do. She's just naturally very adept to technology. She's built our website entirely, you know, herself, learning the formats, the the systems, um, the, you know, she's worked out all the, the online marketing that we have. She does our bookkeeping. So she just went away and created the entire website from scratch and all the interface and everything. And we both um, collaborated, I guess, on its on the brand, the style, you know, so all that aspect of it, the, you know, what, um, I guess, attracts people to us through our story that we present in social media. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? So what were some of the practical impacts, um, you know, once you realised, uh, you know, the pandemic wasn't going to go away quickly? Oh, yeah. Um, being able to keep getting our bottles, like the logistics of our supply chain, I think are always tricky being in a regional area. There's always extra issues with packaging and stuff like that because um, you can't just go and have a look at something. You have to like get them to send it to you and hope it's right. Right. And then there were border closures and a lot oh. of trucks weren't reaching their destinations. Yeah. We started making a lot more micro batches. So we were like, what have we got access to in terms of fruit and herbs? We're just going to do these little seasonal micro batches and we can get those straight out through our website. We don't have to, you know, work with the bars and cafes. So we're able to just give them straight to people. And then also throughout the different lockdowns and pandemics, noticing at first people were like making cocktails at home. And then there was this shifting point where people were looking for alcohol free drinks. And so just trying to like stay on top of both of those and being like, we can help. Mm. And I understand your uh, cocktail making videos were a bit of a hit. Round about yeah, then. Yeah, they were. We were trying to do one on a Friday. That was sort of our goal. Um, to and it and it made because when we're bringing a brand new product to the market, a huge part of the challenge of our product and our business is educating people on what the heck it is, and then also how to use it. So, um, getting over our own sort of, uh, I guess shyness in terms of being, you know, putting a little camera on yourself and, and talking to the camera and making videos so that people could feel um, more, I guess, empowered to buy a bottle of a concentrate and put it together into a delicious drink and maybe be a bit excited by it. And again, communicating the story. So we, the, the challenge of having an online, getting most of our income now from online meant that we really needed to engage our audience. And the micro batches do that as well because it's something new. Like we have a, a, um, you know, a selection of shrubs that we keep in stock all year round. But when something new comes along, a regular is motivated to want to try it. And we get to, you know, really play that way. With, mm -hmm. Yeah. A regular customer, you mean? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you keep feeding them new, yeah, exactly, new products, it's, new flavors. It, it keeps the brand, I think, relevant and interesting. There's like news is always what people are after. Like, what's new? You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so obviously that worked. What didn't work during that time? Oh. Hmm. Nothing. That's it would hard. appear. We. I mean, I think the thing with us is that everything has worked margin like at varying levels but it's it's all slow burn you know like nothing's like 
you know, an overnight gangbusters. It's all been like we we do things methodically and we build slowly. And we're still in that process. We're still in that journey of of just sort of amassing what's our our sort of our repertoire. You know, I would still go back to doing videos or still, um, you know, we're still doing micro batches and engaging. Uh, but then now that cafes and bars are open, we're like, okay, cool. We have to get back onto that and still continue to. So that's wholesaling to these, exactly, to these re- customers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Reach out to retailers or, mm-hmm. or, or cafes and bars, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, earlier this year, of course, I, I guess you were just finding your feet post-COVID and, and then the region was hit by the worst floods in mm-hmm. history. What did that mean for you? What was the immediate impact on your business? We were incredibly well prepared if possible we had a very thorough flood plan and being in North Lismore we knew we would flood one day Um, so we had an extensive flood plan to evacuate Um, we started many days early in fact we'd we started months earlier in that often we would get deliveries to Jenna's house instead of to our kitchen knowing that it would be too heavy to move later. So it kind of informed the entire design of our of our business. We had our cool room three blocks away from our kitchen, which was a nightmare logistically, but we did that because we were like, we can't build a cool room here because it's a flood prone area. So it was, the flood plan was like embedded in our business all the way along. Um, but of course, we lost our kitchen, and it was absolute chaos when when the floods came through. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to save a bunch of our stock. Some of our tonics take six months to make, so we absolutely weren't taking any chances with those. And then during the recovery, having our website and that line of communication, we were able to like put our tonics on the website and allow people from all over the place to buy them in order to support the health of folks here. Um, yeah, and we that had came a pay about it, really quickly. Yeah, yeah, the pay it forward type concept where people were looking to, like our followers were, how can we help you? And we're like, well, our business actually, though we lost our kitchen, we were very successful in evacuating and we will we will recover from this. Um, but we would love, the way you can support us is to can you continue to buy from us. And if you wanted to buy from us so that we can give it away, then it's a double Support. So we had this pay it forward where people were buying tonics uh, and we would then give them to the community uh, free of charge to other, you know, flood affected people. And that, and that's continuing. So we've had a few pay it forwards come through in the last week and I'm, you know, going to put together a bundle to go to the um, resilience hub and, um, um, the naturopathic hub there, people are, are giving them in their prescriptions or in their, in their prescribing. So it's been a really excellent, um, gift to be able to, to pass on. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Just, uh, yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to clarify. So there's the shrubs that are the fruit and herb vinegar concentrates. And then we also make tonics, which were much more functional. So they're all herbs. Um, and you have, would have them with hot water as more of like a nourishing tonic. So mm-hmm. it's a different range. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And so you had to um, find new premises though and relocate. Yeah. So for the first, I guess, few weeks, once like the dust or the, I don't know what you'd call it, dust didn't really settle, did it? The the water subsided slightly and we had, you know, were able to think about our business for a minute. Um, we we were doing some basic just bottling and I had a mobile cool room in my driveway for a month. Um, 
you know, basic bottling and shipping was going on from my house, but we weren't doing production. So we had about six weeks of no production and we were looking for at a few options for some um, temporary um, production space and uh, a mutual friend in the in the community food community um, recommended that we reach out to Ash and Matt at um, at Barefoot Farms and they were immediately um, gracious and welcoming and generous with their space so that's been a really you know that's been amazing for us having that community um, a support, I guess, uh, everyone being in it together. And, and I mean, like we've said before, they've taken in another business as well. So we're all sharing. We're all little flatmates out there in the, in the hill. <laughs> little, little flood refugees. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so what, what lessons do you reckon you've learned from, you know, first the hit from COVID and then the hit from the floods? I imagine you must have been very uh, pleased with yourself for having a, a flood plan. It was a very ambitious flood plan. And when we designed it, I didn't think it would ever come together, to be honest. Like I didn't, I thought, oh, well, we'll say we'll do all this, but let's be real in the, in the emergency of the moment, <laughs> none of this gonna is going to happen. And it actually did like by some miracle. And also with a lot of, you know, a small army of friends that came and helped. Um, so I guess my, I, I think my personal, what I've taken from it, I guess, is that to be, you know, successful in a small business where we don't have, you know, a lot of buffer, you know, in terms of you know, resources is that we having your eggs in lots of baskets and being really creative and constantly um, growing and, and shifting with the, with the weather. So say, for example, this location being at Lovemore Fermentary in North Lismore, it, it wasn't ever going to be our forever home. And we knew that we had been looking for a long time because of the flood nature of that that specific street even mm -hmm. we were looking on the other side of the levee in the cbd you know for a location which um you know now doesn't feel as safe as it did before the great flood but um i guess the the lesson that we've taken is that it is like a one of those tennis matches where the the balls just keep coming at you and you just gotta keep finding that uh internal strength to keep pivoting to find, you know, to hit the ball mm -hmm. that's going to come at you. There's no, you, there's not like one road. You have to be ready for all of them. Yeah. Um, and being flexible and creative. And I think that's a, one of the benefits of being in a grassroots business as well. And, and just being a duo, you know, the two of us can creatively come up with a solution on the fly and make it happen. Um, there's not a lot of bureaucratic process there <laughs> so would you say that's one of the one of the um you know the attributes that um that helped pie wackets make it through these challenges absolutely is like being small um and just the amount of respect we have for each other as well when we trust each other so when one of us is like i'm feeling this we'll try this the other one's like great i'll back you um, and also how much we care about our business. <laughs> we care a lot. So that I think really pushes you to try and be flexible, find different ways. Any, any advice or words of wisdom that you would share, um, with other businesses <laughs> on how to cope the next time some massive challenge arises? I mean, other than just being online, 
like that has been really amazing for us. Even as we set out mostly wholesale, we'll never go back to that. We will stay online because the benefits are so much for us. Like being able to talk to people, um, being able to tell our story, explain ourselves, like have that direct line of communication. I don't think we'll ever go back from that. Um, but we just did this massive market in Brisbane on the weekend and we were very busy on Thursday getting ready for it. And I sent this text to Jenna. I was like, the motto, babe, we're just going to drink coffee and do our best. (laughs) Excellent advice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's it. (laughs) Fantastic. Gemma, um, Katrina, thank you so very much for joining us on Business Bites. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Today we've heard from five fabulous guests as we explored how to manage unexpected challenges, just one of the factors that can contribute to making a business thrive. We spoke with Dean Gould from Southern Cross University, Trevor Lee and Lily Choi Lee from Naturally Northern Rivers Australia, and Jenna Piwackett and Katrina Patton from Piwackett's Traditionals. The Business Bites podcast series is a collaboration between Southern Cross University and Northern Rivers Food. Southern Cross now offers the new Bachelor of Business and Enterprise at its Lismore campus. And for the March 2023 intake, the university is offering a scholarship worth $5,000 to every student who enrols. This new degree can help the brightest commercial minds to stay in our region. Perhaps that's you, someone in your business, or someone you know. Find out more at scu.edu.au. Northern Rivers Food is the region's not-for-profit, member-based food organisation. Established by people from the paddock to the plate, Northern Rivers Food supports and connects people in the industry, developing skills and opportunities, and celebrates the unique food of our region at every turn. To get involved, visit northernriversfood.org. Business Bites is proudly funded by the New South Wales Government, and I hope you'll join us for the next episode. I'm Angela Caterns. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.